Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 66 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. By now, we can certainly all agree that the loss of a child, the death of your own child, is likely the worst experience that you could go through in your life. It impacts every aspect of your life and what you do. But imagine for a second if you were in training to be a therapist, to give advice to other people who are going through struggles. And if you really had never experienced grief before in a significant way, imagine that that was you and that now, in the midst of your training, you experienced the death of your child. How would that impact you? Would you really still be able to be a therapist? What would your career path look like now after that devastating loss? These are the questions that we go over today with our guest, Kim. Kim was almost finished with her training to become a therapist when the unthinkable happened, when she lost her oldest daughter, Darren. We talk about how that loss still impacts her career all these years later and what her grief journey has been like. As for an update on those special upcoming episodes, next Christmas Eve, we will be doing the Messages of Hope episode, and I have so many amazing stories to tell you. You really are going to need to listen. I can't begin to describe how uplifting hearing these little stories has been to me over the past few weeks now. So I am really excited for all of you to be able to listen. I've also gotten some great feedback on the What I Wish I Knew episode as well for New Year's Eve. So make sure to listen to that one too. Know that I am thinking about all of you and keeping all of you in my thoughts and prayers over this next week as we come to Christmas. Christmas is an especially hard season when you're going through any loss, but especially the loss of your child when you're remembering past Christmases and past experiences. So know that we are all in this together. Certainly feel free to write. I love hearing from people again. So please write. Please tell me if you want to share your story. If you have one additional little story for me to add in one of those two special episodes, I have not finished putting them together. So there's still a little bit of time for that as well. So For now, just enjoy listening to Darren's mom. Thank you so much, Kim, for agreeing to join me today on the show. I am really looking forward to our talk. I am too, very much. So Kim, why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself and about your child? Okay. Um, well, my name is Kim Orbel. Um, 
I am married this year for 24 years in August it was. I have three children and Darren is um, my oldest, my oldest daughter. Darren is the one that's in heaven. I have a 19 year old son and a 16 year old daughter who is a junior this year. So graduating next year, I'm a psychologist, I'm a master's level psychologist. And so I work with clients in the area of trauma and grief more than I had planned to when I set out to have this career. <laughs> I am certain you did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, and mainly I do work with individuals, but I do some marital work as well. I do a lot of work with women with abuse histories and other trauma. And so my work is a, a big part of my life, a big part of what I feel is God's call on my life outside of my family. This season has been hard to balance that. There's so much heaviness all around. Everybody is dealing with so many things at once, mm -hmm. including myself. My job is helping people, you know, walking alongside people in that. And then I'm trying to balance my own life. So that's, it's a challenging time right now, but that is my life essentially. Mm -hmm. So why don't you talk about Darren? I know you're excited to talk about her, right? Honestly, I'm, I'm relieved to talk about her. Mm -hmm. When you said that, that just like just to let myself go there because really i feel like i have little opportunity or little freedom mm -hmm. to just talk about her yeah and you know honestly that's kind of that's a sad thing because like for me it's been it's been 13 years but there is so little opportunity and i think like that when you're talking about the support group i think i might do that again <laughs> sometimes <laughs> just to have that opportunity to talk about her with other people but that's a great idea I think that's awesome yeah I think I honestly think I might <laughs> but she's my oldest and she would be 23 her birthday is April 11 1997 so she would be 23 years old she's just a beautiful girl she was definitely the oldest, you know, in her, her personality, mm -hmm. she definitely fit that oldest child. She was very like, things were how she wanted them to be. She was very ordered and structured and very much a caretaker. I'm looking at, I brought a picture of her and her siblings. I don't know if you can, oh, I can, can, see. can you see that? Yes. You'll have that, to send me that picture. So I can yeah. put it on the website. Okay. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think that was the last Christmas picture that I took of my three kids together. Mm -hmm. But she, yeah, she just very much was like, she was like the second little mama with her little brother and her little sister. And she took good care of them. That was probably the thing that I, she was a good child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I hate to say that, but she just was a really good girl, you know, mm -hmm. she didn't get in trouble much, even though she was fiery. She did have like, she would have a little temper, you know, if mm -hmm. you, got, if you got to her, but she, for the most part was just a really, she was a good girl. She was a good student. 
She loved Jesus. She loved to sing. She had done a solo in the Christmas, the little Christmas pageant, you know, at church. Yeah. And I've been looking for that recently. I don't know if you've experienced this, but after so much time has passed, sometimes you get a memory in your mind and then you try to go find that thing. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. It's hard to do that because you have to rifle through so many things in order to find that what you're looking for. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's overwhelming a little because you're finding all of these pictures and tapes and other things. And you don't want to just rifle through stuff. Yeah. You can't just rifle through it. So then you're sitting there for, you know, and five hours later, when you're in an emotional puddle mm -hmm. on your floor, and you still haven't found what you're looking for. <laughs> so yeah. that's just happened to me this week, actually, because I made these Always Andy's Mom cards that I could write out things to people. And I recently, I'm, I know someone who just lost a baby, had a uh, miscarriage at like 37 weeks. So very, very late. And so I really want to send a card and I wanted to use those cards yeah. and I can't find them yeah. because I don't know where I put them. And so then I started thinking, did I put them with some of Andy's stuff? Mm -hmm. And then I, that's exactly what happened to me. So then I go into, we have, three boxes in our living room that are still left over from all of the cards and all the funeral stuff. I've never put it away. Yep, and right. somebody came to my house and they organized it into boxes, but that's as far as it got. They are just yep. sitting in the boxes in a chair that like no one uses anymore. Yep. So I bend over to start going through it and then it just ends up being overwhelming and I still haven't found the cards and I have no idea where they are. And, mm -hmm. but it's too stressful to I try to keep going. Exactly. It's too much. So I have to know what the solo was, if, if it was a song that... It was, yes. Mm -hmm. and it was called um, Light Your Candle. Okay. The reason I ask is because Andy was in the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys, and at the end of every one of my podcast episodes, and so all of you listeners may know this, but if you listen to the very, very, very end, you will always hear Andy singing the last verse of Away in the Manger. Um, oh, that was her favorite Christmas song. Oh. That was Darren's favorite Christmas song. I think I have her taped singing that. Oh. Yeah, so now I, I'm looking forward to hearing so now, Yes, <laughs> because if you remember the last verse of Away in the Manger, the very last line is, and fit us for heaven to live yes, with thee there. So for Andy to have sung that as his last big solo, really, he, he had a littler ones in the spring, but as his last kind of featured solo is, is just was a beautiful thing. And we all sang that at the funeral. And so I bring that up today because obviously this is right before Christmas. So everyone can listen to that again. It, of course, just came across my Facebook feed as a memory, you know, as those memories do, of three years ago today. Yeah. So, wow. again, those are those are tough. Those are tough mm -hmm. to experience. Mm -hmm. I'm still, I still want to find that. Yes, you need to find it. One, I thought um, maybe I could reach out to my my pastor's wife because she was the organizer of the play. It always is nice to just ask for help. Uh huh. 
when you need it. It's hard to do, but it's such a smart thing to do when it's something that's just going to be too tricky for you to do and just going to put you through too much. Just ask for some help because people are more than willing to help you. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. those, sometimes I feel like it's those steps. Mm -hmm. No, I feel like more and more since the, since the accident, I'm not able to do the, like my capacity went from what it was to, mm, yep. I don't have it in me to follow mm. through with as many things as I used to be able to. So it's hard to keep track of, of things to the point of completion, you know? Mm-hmm. So I probably had that thought like, yeah, I should contact my pastor's wife you know i should contact sue Mm -hmm. and then got on with the day right so yeah i would like well this is a good reminder to do that again now yeah exactly she's very artistic Mm -hmm. very very artistic and creative one of the last things that she did in her art class was of a dragonfly and it was kind of like a scene, but they got to pick a theme. And the theme that she picked was unity. Mm-hmm. And so the way that she, see, she was only 10 when she passed, but I almost feel like, you know, when God knows that they only have a limited time, mm-hmm. he puts so much into them. It almost is explosive. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't, you, at the time that you're living with them, you realize it on a level, you know? Um, and obviously there, you don't, you don't have favorites. It's not, it's not that, but it's that just that there's, there's some exceptional things in there beyond their years, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, and they're trying to get it out. They're trying to express it in the time that they're here. And um, so this picture, I say that because to me, this picture shows like a lot of insight mm-hmm. and understanding and depth that I don't think is typical for a 10-year-old. Okay, um, tell us about it. It's, it's the theme is unity, but the way that she drew the picture it's not like she drew it with solid lines. She drew it with all these little symbols. When you look close at it, you can see that the way that she filled in the spaces was with all these little symbols. So there's like a a dragonfly. There's a sun with the rays of the sun coming out. Mm -hmm. There's some other things in the picture, but it's all these little pieces, you know, Mm -hmm. together that make the whole of the picture. Oh, beautiful. That is, takes a lot of depth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. To, to portray the meaning of unity mm-hmm. in that drawing, that this is what unity is. It's all these little pieces coming mm-hmm. together to form a whole beautiful picture. Wow. Just one of them together would be, yeah, like that's, that's cool, but all of them together is what makes the beautiful. Mm-hmm. picture so yeah I love that and the art teacher actually had it framed and gave it to me that's hanging in my room downstairs and 
one of Darren's aunts actually took part of that drawing and had it made into cards, like little, they look like little business cards, you know, mm-hmm. and then wrote a verse on the back that is with unity. And actually it's where Jesus was praying to the father, mm-hmm. praying for unity. Mm-hmm. So those cards are pretty special. Yeah, sounds like it. So what happened to Darren? Well, Darren was killed in a car accident Mm -hmm. in 2007. So she was 10 years old. She was killed instantly in that accident. I was driving the car and all three of my children were with me. Mm -hmm. Darren was actually sitting in the passenger seat. And this was one of the hardest things for me, because I had never allowed her to sit in the front seat. Oh. Ever. Yeah. It's so hard because um, just talking about unity, the way that those things come together to form a whole picture, the way that this accident happened, it was like so many things, so many particular things had to come together in order for this accident to happen. Mm-hmm. I had such a hard time with that because... At the time, and I'm just remembering it right now, but at the time it seemed cruel. Yeah. And it seemed, since God is in control, that God is cruel. Mm -hmm. That was such a hard thing to work through. Yeah, I totally understand. I mean, I'm the same way with our accident. I just kept thinking, if I'd have done this differently, if this differently, if... I, you know, if I hadn't let Andy go upstairs after he got home from soccer practice, if I made him get right in the car, if I'd have done this, there's just so many little things had we'd been in just one different spot. My husband unexpectedly went to the game with us and Peter, my youngest son, said to me shortly afterwards, if dad hadn't have come, Andy would have been sitting shotgun, would have been in the front seat yeah. and he would have been okay. Yeah. And, you know, so he thought it too. He made the same things like... I mean, we were so excited that my husband unexpectedly got to come, you yeah. know, so then Andy wasn't sitting shotgun, you yeah. know, because he loves sitting shotgun because he was, he was a little kid. He was 14, but mm-hmm. he hadn't been able to do it that long, honestly, because he hadn't been tall enough. Yeah. So it had been really only a short period of time that he'd been promoted to be able to sit shotgun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, we all thought that too, right? I mean... He was the only one who died. He was the only one who was severely injured. Yeah. And he was killed instantly, just just as Darren was. So you you those things go through your head. Why? Oh, if only, if only, if only. But yet I know that it was going to happen. And that's what you have to end up going back to eventually, because you kick yourself with all of these if onlys. And then you think. But God knew it was going to happen. Exactly. God knew it was going to happen. And that's the way I have to put it. I always say it like that. God knew this was going to happen. God didn't make it happen. God didn't stop it from happening, which, you know, he and I are going to have to have a talk about that someday up in heaven, I guess. But because Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get the answer for that here. But he didn't know it was going to happen. He did. Looking back, I mean, after the accident, I can remember just certain things that I think were in different ways preparing me and probably preparing her. Mm-hmm. Not that we knew, but somewhere in our spirit, I think <clears throat> he was preparing us. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I was thinking of 
is that my daughter was in the kitchen sitting at the stool and this was we had just moved into our new house the house that we live in we had lived here i don't even know if it was a full year when we were in our accident see that time is kind of like a blur Mm -hmm. right but we were either here a year or a little less than a year when we were in the accident she was sitting in the kitchen and she says in this kind of like dreamy state you know I'm get I'm busy doing something. I'm getting something out of the refrigerator or whatever. And she goes, Mommy. And I said, Yeah. And she goes, When I die, I wanna be holding a single red rose. Wow. And I was like, I was kind of, you know, I was like in my in my, you know, when you're talking your kids are talking over here, but you're doing something and you're kinda and so it didn't register right away, like what and then I was like, what? Wait a minute. Why did you just say that? Yeah. Die. When you die. I said, well, and I, like you, I was like resistant. I was like, yeah, like, well, when you die, well, you better tell a friend or somebody because I'm not going to be around when you die because I'm going to mm-hmm. die before you die. So you better tell somebody else yeah. <laughs> what you want. Well, tell your sister. And she, right. <laughs> yeah, tell a friend, tell somebody else. And she just kind of stayed in that state like, well, okay, you know, but I, I was like, Psh that's not happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I was immediately like, no, that's, that's not happening. I don't even know why you say that. That's not, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to be around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know why sometimes they seem yeah. to get those little insights, but you know, I, I mean, certainly the picture was that for Andy, at least in that moment, yeah. he knew that, that he wasn't going to be with his family the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no part of us wants to accept that. No. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to accept it at all. Mm-mm. At the scene of the accident, there was a point where just speaking of that, those things that God communicates in the state of shock and you're just, you know, I mean, you're in utter terror mm-hmm. in those moments. I remember taking a couple steps back from the vehicle and it was like, I've never had this happen just this one time, but there was a voice. It was like a male voice and it felt like it came up from within my spirit or something. And it said, he is in control. It said, he is in control. Wow. I don't know if that was an angel I think it probably was an angel, but it was a voice saying he is in control. So it wasn't the voice of the father saying I'm in control. It was somebody telling me he is in control. And I knew that it wasn't, wasn't my voice. Right. Never had that experience. And in that moment. Well, you were feeling like nothing was in control. So there's I, no way I, it was you. I wasn't yeah. feeling anything. I was right. in a complete state of, you know, I mean, it, it had just happened. So I have, I don't know how many minutes after you know all of the events of the accident for somebody to arrive there and get me out and all of that stuff I don't know but I do remember that very clearly after I heard that I took a few steps and I just collapsed onto the ground Mm -hmm. I think I almost needed to in that moment you know you're running on adrenaline and shock and who knows what 
and you're still feeling like you've got to do something. Yeah. I've got to do something like I've got to fix this somehow. I've got to make this be better. I've got to, you know, as a mom, I don't know. It's just like so in you to remedy everything Mm -hmm. best that you can. And that like what we're talking about, what we started talking about before we even got into the interview of learning the things that we're not in control of with this whole pandemic and everything else that has come along with it. (laughs) We want to be in control of more than we can be in control of. Were your other kids injured in the accident? They were Mm -hmm. not not like lasting injuries, you know, Mm -hmm. not lasting physical injury. My son was pretty injured. He had, you know, a broken arm and it was very dislocated. He had to have surgery. So he was taken away separately in a Mm -hmm. separate ambulance from the scene. My youngest daughter was three at the time. She was bleeding profusely from her head, but she was, she was okay. You know, it was mainly surface Mm -hmm. with her. And you were okay as well? Yeah, that sucked quite honestly. Yeah. Don't even think that I had like a scratch on me. Oh, wow. Terrible. It was terrible yeah. the way that, that, you know what I mean? I mean, I totally the, know. I totally know. It was the worst scenario that I could have like, you just want your kids to be okay. And you, you just would take any injury or any whatever. Not that you would want yourself to die or anybody to die in the place right. of, you know, but it's just what your mind does again, trying to control. Like if I could have <laughs> arranged the situation and if you're emotionally feeling so terrible, you really want to physically feel kind of terrible too, right? Well, I mean, I want to be hurt too. I don't want to be, I don't want to be okay because I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not okay, but physically there was nothing. Yeah, I had a fairly decent burn on my arm, which I didn't even really realize until after we were long at the hospital and, and a pretty banged up leg, but nothing terrible. And then I was concussed because I was unconscious for a good amount of time. But then I was kind of okay. And I felt like I get very bad migraine headaches if I don't eat. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to eat because yeah. I just wanted to have a migraine. I wanted to ha- be physically feeling as miserable as I was emotionally feeling. And yeah. I thought, I mean, I was like, I should eat because it's really not going to make anything better for me to have a migraine, but gosh, I just kind of really want a migraine. I want to feel bad physically Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. when you feel normal physically, that's just, no, it doesn't fit. No, it doesn't fit at all. It needed. Yeah. You wanted it to be more all together (laughs) like that. And in some ways you want something lasting from the accident like Eric did not lose consciousness he was the only one that didn't lose consciousness my husband but he got a very bad cut on his forehead we call it his Harry Potter scar now because he has a scar that looks like Harry Potter but in some ways it's like well that's there that's a little bit of evidence still that something really horrible happened right Mm -hmm. on him And I don't have that. I mean, my scrapes and bruises all just went away and are fine now. 
And in some yeah. ways, it was hard to look at Eric and see that scar yeah. every day. Yeah. But in other ways, I felt like I wish I had one. I wish I had a, a scar to be able to rub and think about, you know, it's, yeah, it's a kind of an odd thing. But I think you yeah. get that. You understand that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. My kids have the scars. Yeah. And, you know, I think my daughter, I mean, some of the ways that I see them struggle now, you know, your heart just feels so much because for a three-year-old, she has the scars and she gets terrible migraine headaches. Mm -hmm. And I think when she's stressed yeah, or when she has fear, she gets really bad headaches. Yeah, And that level of trauma for them. Peter does too. Peter gets terrible ones. And I have wondered, I've long, they got much, much worse after the accident, but you know, he was, had a concussion and, I mean, he first had one just hours after the accident was throwing up in the hospital. But, you know, you long wonder if it would have been like that, right? Was he going to get this bad of headaches that were going to be really impossible to control? And he has to miss a fair amount of school and things like that. Was that in him genetically because I have migraine headaches? Or is it somehow worse because of this horrible trauma of having to watch his brother and best friend die? You know? Yeah. You just you never will know that. Yeah. What a, a normal. <laughs> yeah. What it would have been like. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. I look at even just looking at this picture today, I think, yeah, that's back when I had the energy to put everybody in Santa hats <laughs> and yeah. coordinate everything with my kids and have the tree done and have this done and have that done. And you know, however many takes it took to get them all to sit like that in a line with the cat in the middle (laughs) and everything else. And then fast forward to this year and I'm like, granted, there's a lot of other things going on too, but even just with the grief, some years, it depends on where you you can't anticipate where you're going to be year to year. And this year, it seemed like a huge feat to go together as a family and chop the tree down just go pick a tree and chop it down and get it home just mentioning that this year we haven't had a tree so for two years we did not have a tree at all it just was too painful I would ask the kids about it I remember Peter last year said I I want a tree and you can put lights on it but I don't want any ornaments on it I don't want any anything on it and I was like just forget it then we're just not doing it so this year I said what do you think about a tree and he again said I want a tree. I want lights on it. I don't want ornaments on it. Yeah. And I said, you mean you don't want our ornaments on it? Yeah. Because the kids all have their own ornaments and with Andy's name and, yeah. you know, and he said, yeah, I can't see our ornaments. Uh-huh. And I said, okay. And I had recently been to a support group and one of the other moms there said that last year they put up a Christmas tree. She had younger kids and so they really wanted a tree, but she went to Hobby Lobby and just bought cheap ornaments because she just didn't have it in her to get yeah. the ornaments. So when he said he wanted a tree with lights and no ornaments, I said, well, how about I go to Hobby Lobby mm-hmm. and get some ornaments? So what I ended up doing is, so the guy that used to cut my boy's hair, his name actually is Andy. So Andy always thought it was cool that a guy named Andy cut his hair at the little barbershop that is literally a mile from our house. It is 
really close to our house. Well, that guy raises Christmas trees and sells them. Um, And some years we would get our Christmas trees there, but most years we actually like to go and chop them ourselves. Just like you, you know, you go to one of those Christmas tree farms, you cut down the tree and it was a big thing. I made a big thing out of it and I had to have the perfect tree and I would look at, you know, eight trees and we'd be back and forth. And by, by then the kids would be like, mom, just pick a tree. They're all the same, you know, and we would have hot chocolate and it was a big thing. Mm-hmm. So I cannot do that. I can't. Mm-hmm. So I said to Eric, I said, why don't you text the barber? Because he now has a cell number because now, you know, you have to have appointments to get your hair cut. Mm-hmm. And so he has the cell number for, for Andy, the barber. I said, just text him, tell him to save us a tree. Ask him if he would just drop it by when yeah. he's done. And then just tell him we'll just pay for it here. Just see if he would do that for us. And and I like, he cut, he still cuts Peter and Eric's hair. I mean, he's been like kind of a part of our family since those boys were little. They used to have to sit on little boards and get their hair cut, you know? So he said he would be happy to bring us a Christmas tree, but uh-huh. he couldn't take any money for it. Uh-huh. So he gave us our Christmas tree for free. So I went to Hobby Lobby. I bought a container with 50 ornaments for 10 bucks. <laughs> and he brought this littler tree because I didn't want a huge one. We put it in our basement, which we never put it in our basement, just so yeah. it wasn't right there for me yeah. to have to look at. And I would have to make a little more of an effort. But yet it was there and and we had it. I Also, we have this Christmas village that... Uh, the kids always bought me buildings for the Christmas village. Andy was always the most into it. Always, like, right at Thanksgiving, he would be, when can we put up the village? When can we put up the village? He, like, the last year before he died, he put up the entire village. I let him do it the day before Thanksgiving. And he got it all out himself. There were boxes everywhere. I was so not happy with him when I came home because it was just a disaster. But the village was out. So I've not been able to do the village. The village has been unbelievably painful for me but this year down in the basement I took out four buildings from the village and put them out including the one that the last one that Andy gave me which had never even come out of the box because I always get them on Christmas I don't put them out anymore because they're all set up I put them out the next Christmas so it was still on the plastic and everything so you just do what you can do Right. And talk about asking for help. I thought to myself with this Christmas tree thing, I thought, what do I tell people every week on the podcast? I tell them to ask for help. I tell them if you can't do something, ask for help. And so I thought to myself, I am going to ask for help because I can't go get a Christmas tree. It is too hard for me to do. So if someone will bring one for me, I will pay you money. Turns out I didn't have to do that either. But just asking for help, because Andy the barber said he would be honored mm-hmm. to give us a, our Christmas tree this year. And it blessed him. And it did. It did bless him. And his son came and they brought it together. And yeah. I think he was truly blessed I mean he had I think like only three Christmas trees left so it was you know getting towards the end 
so it was very very worked out to be that way and it just made it a little easier for me you know exactly so it's it's a beautiful thing beautiful yeah it is i wanted to ask you how this has affected you with work because I would think it would have had a huge impact on work and what you do. It does. It's had a huge impact on what I do. I could tell you, like, just going back to before I even really technically started my career, I was sitting in the room with my supervisor. She was actually teaching one of the classes in my practicum. So I was near the end of my program. We were talking and we, and at that time I was seeing clients as a student uh, okay. and, being, and being supervised, seeing clients from the community. And she was asking me, you know, just kind of some, how I was seeing myself develop professionally in that. And I told her, I said, I, I think that, I'm feeling like I'm getting more confidence about how to connect with clients and how to meet them, you know, where they are. But the one area that I feel like I just don't have much to offer is grief. Really? Yep. Because I had not really experienced grief that is life-changing. I had experienced grief. When I say life-changing, I mean, I had experienced some, actually, looking back, I mean, I had experienced some pretty significant grief. I had lost one of my best friends, you know, when I was in 10th grade. And that was life-changing to have my best friend die in a car accident suddenly. I had had some grief, but I hadn't had the type of grief that shakes you to your core, that like right. dismantles your whole world as you know it. I hadn't experienced that. And I had come into contact with some clients that did have that level of grief. And if you have not experienced that level of grief, you can't Yeah. possibly. And you know it. You shouldn't try to even think that you know <laughs> because you don't really want to you don't really don't want to you know unless it's needed to you, you I wouldn't wish it on anybody no matter what I've learned or what wisdom or any of it I wouldn't because yeah it's terrible right it's, you know, all the knowledge in the world is not worth it for sure mm -hmm. absolutely not but so looking back to that point that's a significant memory just being at that place where I realized I didn't feel like I had that to offer and then fast forwarding into actually even trying to begin my career because I had one class left in my program. It was the beginning. It was the fall when we got into our accident. So you were and in I your had training one still. class left in my. Wow. I was still in my training, you know, where you have to wait to take the, the last class that you need or whatever, because they yeah. only offer it one semester of the year. I needed intellectual assessment. I had to wait to take that class. So I was taking only that class in the fall of 2007. I had just started that. My kids were just starting with the school year. It was mm -hmm. that exciting time, the beginning yeah. of a new school year. Darren was going into fifth grade. She was going to be fitted for a flute, you know. Yeah. It was all those things. And, 
Yeah. So then I just obviously said, I can't, I can't continue with my program right now. They were understanding and they put everything on hold and I went back the following year. But even just to make it through that one class, Uh I felt like I was, it took absolutely everything that I had to make it through that class. Literally, it was like by the skin of my teeth, I could barely function on a daily. And that was a year later. That was a year later. Oh, for sure. The workload Mm -hmm. is a lot to do. And I had kids at home, you know, and I'm grieving my child. I mean, it was terrible. But I, it happened, you know, it's kind of a big blur, but it happened. So then I graduated, but just like every step of the way. So then to finish that course took more, really more than I had. I mean, we, I know that God was helping me to complete what I needed to do, but at the time you don't really, you experience that, but it's not as if you step onto an escalator and he just takes over. I mean, you're like gritting through every day to do what you need to do, mm-hmm. you know, to continue with, with life that you don't really want to be living. And then to start a new career, I mean, to look for a job, to, to look for a job as broken as I was, you're not the same person. I feel like it totally, for me, it totally took away my confidence. Like I am a broken mess. I don't know that I'll be able to do this job. Because you're giving people advice. Exactly. I'm thinking, I can't, you know what I, my fear was? My, my worst fear was like, I'm not going to be able to genuinely meet with anybody because I'm going to compare people's problems with my own. And I'm not going to be able to truly sympathize with them, meet with them. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to care. <laughs> and I'm like, who, how can I be a therapist? I'm not even going to be, that was my fear. But that ended up not being the case though, did it? Absolutely not. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely not. I totally get that because I was like that. Like I am not going to be able to see kids with the sniffles and a fever for three hours. I'm not going to be able to do that. It's just stupid. Why are they even coming? I will never be able to have the level of compassion. Yes. And that is totally not what happened. It's I mean, totally- it was in the beginning, at the very, very beginning, because I was just such a muddled mess. Mm-hmm. But when I really came back a year later, I found it was the opposite. I found yeah. that I looked at these people who had kids with relatively minor illnesses. Yeah. And I looked at the level of worry that they had. And I just had this overwhelming compassion to make them feel better, to help yeah. them to understand that things were okay and that their child was going to be all right. So it was quite the opposite. So that's why I was wondering if that's the way it felt for you. Yeah, it was. Well, what I began to experience was like really the presence of the Holy Spirit because it was very apparent that what was going on in the sessions as I was meeting with clients was beyond my own ability. Mm -hmm. It was undeniable. Because I would go in there totally worried because I'd be broken myself on my way right. in. I'd be sobbing a mess, like to the point where I have to pull over to get it together enough to drive. And then I go in and then they would never know that in the session. And then you get through a full day. And I'm not saying in the beginning that it wasn't hard. It was hard. I, I cried a lot, but I cried a lot for my clients. 
that was yeah. that was what you know i can remember coming home and my husband being worried being like are you going to be able to do this because you're just crying like all the time yeah and like i know i don't know if i'm going to be able to i don't i don't know i don't know well because you just don't have a lot i don't know a lot of reserve yourself right? You're kind of going on empty anyway. Mm -hmm. So the things that you might have been able to take on in the past, mm -hmm. you, you just can't. Cause so I still find that I, I still yeah. find myself, especially with my um, teens that I have that are experiencing anxiety, depression, you know, yeah. suicidality, eating disorders, things like that. I find that it is very, very draining to me just because I still feel like I don't have a lot in me. And of course, I have such a fear that something will happen and that that mother that I'm working with is going to start having to live my life. Oh, yeah. And I that is so scary to me. Exactly. And and it does make them that those moms do feel more drawn to me in some ways because they all know, you know, people know that I lost Andy. And I think a little bit of them does because they live in fear of that, right? When you have a child that has significant mental illness and you are fearing that they are going to take their life, then that is this nightmare. And then you look at your doctor and you're like, she's living the nightmare. Exactly. Uh, even though it wasn't, it was under totally different circumstances. It's, it's a lot of similarities. So it, it does add an interesting uh, component in some ways. For sure. Sure. I think I feel more with them and I think I probably do a better job with them than others, but mm -hmm. sometimes it does take a lot out of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. Mm -hmm. That was surprising to me, I guess my ability, what that did, what that trauma, what that pain did form in me was such a deep empathy for people mm -hmm. in pain that God I believe I, he gives you so much grace to meet with other people in those places of pain and not, we know the people that aren't helpful. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. The ones that just offer a bunch of kind of unwanted advice and you can tell that it's from a place of they don't know. And, and I'm not, being, I'm not trying to be critical or anything because you don't know you don't know but we just know those things that aren't helpful mm -hmm. and so you are able to just sit with people and realize that you don't have even though you've been th through such deep pain you don't have it like you need to listen to the holy spirit and sometimes you just need to just shut up mm -hmm. <laughs> and be willing to to just sit there in that heaviness with them and just keep sitting there with them until you feel like there's something for them. Well, it's funny that you say that because my foster son, who's, you know, lived with us now for four and a half years, so a long time, his mother died the day after Thanksgiving. She oh. is in Guatemala. She has been an alcoholic for many, many years. She died from liver failure, presumably, yeah. at 44, yeah. young. And obviously, it was traumatic and horrible for him, and he couldn't go home. And I think in the past, I mean, of course, we all cried with him and wanted to be with him and surrounded him. But what I found myself doing was 
saying to him like that that night I knew he didn't really want to be alone and he was in a bad place but I also knew he didn't want to talk so I went I knocked on his door to his bedroom I said can I sit with you mm-hmm. and he said sure and we sat on the little love seat and just sat yeah. and after a while he started to talk to me yeah but I can promise you that had I said can we talk mm-hmm. he would have said no and he would have crawled back in his bed mm-hmm. and sat by himself and felt worse but mm-hmm. to offer to just sit with someone yeah. in this these depths of grief which yeah. is what we've continued to do he he and I have a tv show that we watch together and so he will say you want to watch that and I'll say okay because I know he doesn't want to be alone he can't be alone yet it's too hard for him to be alone and we do talk I mean there are certainly times we talk but I never ask him to talk it's always just letting it come more organically which is not what I would have done before Andy died I mean he came to us uh, in a very bad place right he had his parents were alcoholics. He like had to raise his siblings himself in some ways. Mm. They were horrible. He was certainly abused and, and it would frustrate me. I mean, his parents frustrated me to no end. I, they drove me crazy because of this hold they would still have on him, even though they were just not great people. But I used to ask him to talk more or I used to say, you know, why? I mean, it would drive me crazy. Why you keep, sending money to these people who then spend it on alcohol and witchcraft and this, that, and the other thing, and don't ever do anything good for you. But it's so much better to just sit. Mm-hmm. Just sit. Mm-hmm. And it's back to, it kind of comes back to the control. Mm-hmm. Like what I learned is that it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to have an agenda as a therapist. Uh-huh. You know, to talk about this, 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 and this. Because I would try in the beginning, being a being a good therapist, how I had been trained mm-hmm. to work with. These are, these are the modalities. These are the things that you do. These are the things that you're trying to implement. These are the systems. These are the mm-hmm. systems, right, that you follow, that you work with in this framework. Well, that doesn't work as well, <laughs> is what I find. And I want to do what works the best. Yeah. What works the best is to listen to the need and follow that, what really the need is. So I have some, I have like some clients that are referred to me because they are grieving mothers. Do they know that you are too? Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Most of them are referred like from pastors who know of me and know my story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a friend of mine that says she doesn't want to read any book that's not written by someone by a grieving parent Mm -hmm. she doesn't want to read any books on grief if they're not written by someone who's actually grieving because they just they're they don't know what they're talking about in some ways you know and she has said and i don't want to see a therapist who hasn't experienced it Mm -hmm. as soon as she said it it made me think of way back long time ago now when i was a new pediatrician and then i became a mother and i started breastfeeding myself and i thought to myself you had no business ever giving anyone advice on breastfeeding before you breastfed yourself. It reminded me of that in such a, 
I mean, in a much lighter way, obviously. But I remember thinking that, like, wow, you had no idea what you were talking about. How were you trying to help people when you'd never done it yourself? Mm-hmm. So it's similar. Yeah, it is similar. And I feel like there are some things that you're trained to do in your profession. And just because they've been researched and, you know, there's a number attached to it regarding its effectiveness doesn't mean that that's the answer for everybody. Mm -hmm. I feel like clients need patience. They need the room and the space to allow themselves to do what, what they need to do right then and even if they don't know what that is that that's okay too well yeah it must have been interesting starting out your career that way because certainly it's not what you would have guessed it was going to be when you started well how long after you saying the comment about the grief did did the accident happen for you oh it was like it was like the next month yeah i wondered if it was really soon It was. It was like right toward the end. So did a little bit of you say to yourself, this is what you get? This is like you wished it on yourself or something silly? Or did you never go there? I didn't ever go there. I mean, what I am thankful for is that I did have a strong relationship with the Lord. Because I think, you know, when you're listening for that something more Mm -hmm. outside of yourself, that it is a guide. The Holy Spirit is a guide. And I, and I, that's what I, that's what I almost sense. I almost sense like there was this like. And and for you, that comment really did end up being a little bit of a gift in some ways, because from very, very early stages, you could see, well, this might at some point in time, give me some insight that I didn't think I could have. Right. So mm-hmm. Even though, obviously, you would have never wanted it to happen. It's it's interesting that you had noted that as like a little bit of a deficiency in yourself and something you wanted to improve on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I totally, I believe that that was God, you know, bringing, he brings us that revelation, like to be able to observe ourselves and see like what's really mm-hmm. going on with me. Because I remember also around that time, and I don't remember as far as my, I remember it was nice outside Um, Because I remember coming home from a church service and sitting on my front stairs and just contemplating the message because the pastor was talking about longing for heaven. Mm -hmm. He was talking about longing for heaven. And, you know, as a pastor, you would probably attend so many deaths. You're just around it all the time. You're performing funerals. You're helping grieving people. You know, I mean, they're grief counselors that Uh aren't really grief counselors so he was and I could tell that it was personal for him when he was preaching that he was just saying like the more I see the pain and the death the more I I just feel closer to heaven I feel like a genuine longing for heaven to be there you know Uh and I remember coming home and thinking about just like an honest you know self-assessment like I don't really have that longing for heaven, you know, actually, I'm pretty thankful for my life here. Like I can think about, you know, I, we'd been married for what, like 11 years or so, 10 years or so. So you're at this point where you've kind of worked through some things in your marriage, like the, you know, it's not perfect, but it's on the upswing (laughs) a little, 
you know, you're, there's some hope, like this could actually be working together here in some good ways. I have these beautiful kids that, that are my everything. You know what I mean? I'm so thankful. Look at these kids that I've got. My house is pretty good. I live in- You're, you're almost done with your schooling to start your career. Yeah. yeah. Coming together. My past sucked. Yeah. I had a lot of hard stuff in my life growing up, but that's okay. Like I can kind of counter that with where I'm at right now. And I can, okay, God, I can be okay with that because look what you're giving me now. Like I can deal with it. Like I can deal, you know, this is, this is an okay life. I'm mm -hmm. thankful. I'm thank I'm so thankful for this life really. And so I don't really have that longing for heaven. That's where it was. That's where I was going with it. Like, I like my life here. I'm not, I don't really have that longing for heaven and just like meeting God, like right there. Like, uh -huh. I don't know what to do because I'm thankful for this. And I, but I just don't really have that. And there you go. I certainly have that. Yeah. I certainly yeah. have that. Like we feel like, and I'm sure you probably feel this way too. You really feel like you're living with one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. What's funny that you say that is Andy really had a longing for heaven, even when he was here. Yeah. He, like, I uh, remember a conversation he had with a friend of his who was like scared of death. And Andy was like, why are you scared of death? I'm so excited to go to heaven. Heaven is going to be awesome. And he was like, just going on and on gushing about how amazing heaven was going to be. So, yeah. and I think that's weird in some ways. Right. And that's unusual for a 14 year old boy to, to long for heaven. But of all of my kids, he's the only one that longed for heaven. No doubt about it. Wow. So yeah. So God knew what he was doing when he took Andy. Cause Andy's, if you would have asked Andy, he would have been the one to say, oh, yeah, take me, without a doubt. But now we all have that longing, too, I think. Yeah, they bring us along with them, in a way. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I feel like it's been a great conversation. I got to learn a lot about you and a lot about this whole healing process that we go through every day. Yeah. Really nice to meet you. I can't wait to meet you in person someday. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.